Please remain standing if you are able. We do have a long passage of scripture this morning. And I should mention that there is no uh, Christ Kids worship today. That will resume in a couple of weeks here. The word of the Lord from Isaiah 52 and 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation... Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
what kind of passage is this? Lord, what, what kind of word is this from you? And yet here we are ready to hear from the word who came, the word who became flesh and who dwelt among us and who has given us this word of prophecy, this word that we must understand, this word that is in a way just beyond our comprehension. So Spirit of God, would you come and would you open up our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts and cause us to receive you this morning because we are people who live in a weary land and we need to be refreshed with the living water this morning. Would you do that for us so that we could be transformed, so that we can become the people of God that you want us to be for the glory of your name? Be with Pastor Andrew as he opens up this text for us and causes us to see the Lord Jesus, who is our only Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, and Merry Christmas. If I don't see you tonight or tomorrow, certainly want to wish you and your family uh, the best as you celebrate. It's such a wonderful time of year. You know, obviously, there's a lot with just festivities and taking a break from work and getting together with family. But even more than that, we're just engaged this uh, wonderful story. Uh, and it's made even more wonderful because it's a true story. It's a true story of uh, a Christmas miracle. Some of you have heard that phrase, maybe even used that phrase. You know, it's a Christmas miracle, this baby that was born, or a Christmas miracle that my kids came to church with me, or a Christmas miracle that... Uh, you know, Uncle So-and-so got off the bottle and came to the, the party. I mean, we, we use this phrase in, in a lot of different ways. This morning, though, I want to give you what uh, I would consider is a true Christmas miracle. A and that is this portion of Scripture, Isaiah four, uh, 53. It is the best known of the servant songs. You know that we've been walking through these, Isaiah 42, 49, 50. Now we come to 53. Tonight we're going to look at what is oftentimes categorized as the fifth uh, servant song, Isaiah 61. But Isaiah 53 is clearly the best known of the servant songs. And uh, it's oftentimes a, a, a portion of scripture that we look at around Easter. Uh, Good Friday, Easter, because it has such a clear presentation of the ministry of Christ. But we recognize that in order to get to the ministry of Christ, uh, his life, his death, his resurrection, he had to be born. And we can never separate, we can never sentimentalize uh, the birth of Jesus by separating it from the mission that he came to uh, accomplish. And that's what makes part of this so appropriate for Christmas morning, but also makes it so miraculous. Because here you have in Isaiah 53, a passage of scripture that could only apply to Christ. Here's how one writer puts it. He says, God's ability to predict the future comes to its pinnacle in Isaiah 53. 
And its clear prediction of the purpose of Christ's birth, the details of his life, his death, his burial and resurrection, shine like a miraculous beacon for those of us who need a Savior. And that, of course, is all of us. And so my prayer this morning is that we dive into this. You would appreciate the true Christmas miracle of, of God's Word. And, you know, again, it's one of those things that gives us confidence. I'm always looking for, you know, the, the Word of God is under such attack today. And I'm always looking for places where... We can point out, you know, we really can have confidence in God's word. And, and this is one of those places. You know, it, it has to be the Holy Spirit involved with Isaiah in order to write in such a way that some 800, seven, 800 years before Jesus walked the face of the earth, we would, we would have the detail that we have, you know. Buried with the rich in his death. You know, all of these different types of detail that we have. We have a lot of confidence of God's word. In terms of this particular song, we, we know it applies to Christ. You know, we've talked a little bit about these servant songs. We've talked about, and I actually put a little diagram in there for you. I've been doing this thing with my hands, and I thought, I wonder if really anybody's getting this. Uh, but uh, we, you know... There is a story in the scripture where God starts with the nations. Uh, we have that in Genesis 1 to 11. And then he narrows in on the people of Israel. And eventually, the one true human and the one true Israelite is the person of Jesus Christ. And he is the one that, that most clearly uh, is the servant of God. There are other times and other places, Isaiah 42, 49, 50, where somebody else might be immediately in view, but it is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But in Isaiah 53, it is only fulfilled in Christ. Only Christ could be this servant. And that's clear even from Acts chapter 8. You remember in Acts chapter 8, there's Philip, and he's walking along this road, and he meets an Ethiopian eunuch who's reading out of the scriptures, and he doesn't know what he's reading. And so he invites Philip up into the chariot, and they start to read, and he's reading from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And he asks Philip, and he says, who is the prophet speaking about, himself or somebody else? And the very next verse settles the question about who, uh, who the prophet is speaking about when Philip says uh, he proceeds to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with that scripture. It is the good news, the glad tidings of great joy about Christmas that we encounter here. There are so many facets of the servant character uh, that are revealed to us in this song. He is a sage. He is a priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the servant, the sufferer, the conqueror, the intercessor. He is the channel of God's grace to sinners. In him, in this song, the holiness and the mercy of God are perfectly reconciled. He is the key to all God's plans for his people and for 
his world. As we come to Christmas, that is what we are coming to. We are coming to the key for all God's plans and all of his world. So I want to invite you just to walk a little bit closer through this text. We gain so much by by studying God's word. And I want to lead you sort of on an unexpected journey. And really, that Christmas is a lot about that. You know, you think about the angels coming and announcing his birth, and who do they go to? You know, they don't go to the halls of power. They don't go to the major news outlets. They go to shepherds in the field. Who is it that bears the infant child Christ? It's not, again, one of the power brokers in the world. It's, It's not a palace, but it's a... It's a lowly, humble, uh, you know, young girl uh, who Jesus is born in a manger. So, so much about Christmas is unexpected, and really we should uh, get a clue from that, uh, from this passage, get a clue about that here. I mean, notice verse 2. He's an unexpected person. He comes uh, in out of a dry ground. He's a tender plant or a young plant. This is 53.2. And he comes like a root out of dry ground. Do you normally expect harvest out of a dry ground? No. It, it needs to be watered. The soil needs to be fertile. It needs to have a proper place to grow. And, and what Isaiah is telling us here is you should be looking for Jesus in unexpected places. Uh, And he is a very unexpected person. You get that all throughout this passage, or at least in a number of places throughout it. Verse 14 of chapter 52, uh, many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance or, or resemblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. You see it again in verse 2, you know, this young plant, this tender shoot coming like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief as one from whom men hid their face. You know, I was thinking about this and thinking about what this means when we come to the Christ, the Messiah, this one who entered the world so humbly. Uh, we, again, look in so many different places, don't we? we? We expect good things in our lives. We expect movement uh, from places of power. If people are wealthy, they can fix their circumstances and fix those around. If they have political power or political clout, they can fix, you know, circumstances. And we, we look to the halls, the places of power for our lives to be fixed. You know, even, uh, you remember when Jesus was calling his disciples and Philip and Andrew, they went and they were talking to this guy, Nathaniel, and they said, hey, we found him. We've, we've found the Messiah. Uh, who is he? Well, he's, he's Jesus of Nazareth. Ah, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, not a place where you would expect the Messiah to come from. And that's the story of his life and Isaiah clues us into that. And it really begins to, 
I think, shine a spotlight on our own longings. And maybe I throw that back to you this morning. You know, what, what are you longing for or who are you longing for in terms of the blessings and the good things in your life? story I read a number of years ago, I may have shared some excerpts with you along the way, made an impact on me. It was called In the Sanctuary of Outcasts. It was a story by Neil White. He was a very successful uh, journalist in a small southern town. Uh, He was successful, uh, that is, until he got caught kiting checks. Turns out his whole sort of business scheme was a scam. He couldn't keep up with everything, and he eventually went to prison. He was reflecting on his life both before and after prison and talking about what he was looking for in terms of happiness. He says, a good portion of my adult life had been spent daydreaming about what others thought of me. I imagined and reimagined accolades, awards, trophies, applause. Just wait until they see this, I would say to myself. Not even sure who the, they were. Journalism was the perfect pr- profession to spread the good news of my accomplishments. More than 60,000 households, every neighbor, friend, relative, received a monthly sampling of my works, bound in the finest paper money could buy. People stopped me on the streets to talk about never published Never before published photograph I had discovered or a thought-provoking editorial I, was, I had penned. I was eating in the power and the accolades. And interestingly enough, he says, even when I got to prison, uh, even incarcerated, when I should have been humble and reflective, I held on tight to my own vanity and my own desire for power. I wanted my shirts pressed. I hoarded scent strips from the magazines in order to set smell good. I imagined myself winning a press club award before I'd even done a moment's work writing about his time in prison. When I should have been trying to change, I grasped on to the image I held so dear. And I think we all can relate to that. We have this ideal of power, of success, of wanting to be the best musically or academically or socially or in our appearance or whatever it is. We, we get that. But what was so interesting is where he was incarcerated. He was a white-collar criminal. He was incarcerated in a, a low-security prison. It was in Carville, Mississippi. And one of the things that was so interesting about it is that it was a shared facility. It was a prison, but it was also a hospital for those with Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is better known as leprosy. So here was a colony of lepers and white-collar criminals intermixed with one another. And if you know about leprosy, you probably know that it's uh, wildly disfiguring people, um, people lost arms and parts of noses and variety of things. They weren't contagious, uh, but there he was living in what he comes to call a sanctuary of outcasts. And finally, finally, you know, his eyes are changed to see beauty of a different sort. He says, finally, 
In a sanctuary of outcasts, I understood the truth. Surrounded by men and women who could not hide their disfigurement, I could see my own. Here we come to a Savior who is disfigured. You know, like a leper, people hide their faces because it's too grotesque to look at. But he is the one that bears the gentle power. He is the one that, that bears the humble honor in order to save us. And part of what the, the text and the Christmas story invites us to consider is, you know, what is our hope in? Is our hope in power? Or... As we look at the Savior, are we able to see our own disfigurement and our own need? He talks about uh, leaving the prison and finding a church. And this is maybe something for us to think about a little bit, Christ Church. He, uh, he took Ella's advice, who was a friend that he had met there, a disfigured friend. And I found a church, not just any church, but... It was a little bit like the church in the prison where parishioners were broken and chipped and cracked, a place to go when I needed help, a place to ask forgiveness, a sacred place where people were not consumed with image or money. There's an invitation here. Jesus is the unexpected person. There's no former majesty. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why did he need to be that way? Because, you know, part of it is, you know, you think about Neil's story. In order for him to see his own disfigurement, he needed to be around those who are disfigured. And, and we, too, are disfigured. We need to recognize the, the humble situation in which our hearts exist. I mean... You, brothers and sisters, according to this text, and probably according to your own honest assessment of yourself, you need a Savior. All we, like sheep, the prophet says, has gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. You see, you know, two truths there. One is the scope. It's, it's all of us, right? All of us ha have gone astray. Humanity needs a savior, but it's each one of us has turned to his own way. There is a personal responsibility. You can't just hide in the herd. You need to recognize that, that you individually need a savior. You exist in this broad uh, panorama of brokenness, but personally, you need a savior as well. And we recognize that in order to really be that savior, Jesus walked this unexpected path. He lived in rejection, speaks to the suffering life in which he lived. You see that. Um, he was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It wasn't just his grief, his rejection. Um, He carried ours. We looked at him and we said he is stricken by God and afflicted. And it's true, but not in the way that we thought. We thought it was because of his sin, but it wasn't. We're told that he had done no violence, verse 9. There was no deceit in his mouth. The truth is he was wounded or pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. You look at Mark 8. Mark 8, uh, you have in the scriptures one of the clearest announcements or portrayals or uh, designations of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, Who do people say that I am, Jesus says to his disciples. And they told him, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter answers for the disciples and he says, you're the Christ. And uh, Jesus says, that is absolutely right. Don't tell anybody yet. And he began to teach them, these are the next words, all that the Son of Man, which again is speaking to his Messiahship, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days uh, rise again. And he said this plainly. And how did the disciples respond to this? They said, yes, it's exactly what we're looking for. I remember Isaiah 53 said that the servant must suffer many things. It's not. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Because they were looking for a Messiah who would follow a different path. They didn't want somebody who was so humble. They didn't want somebody who was going to take on the brokenness of the world. They wanted somebody who was going to come in power and was going to oust uh, Rome. That's what they were longing for. And Jesus says, do you know what he says to Peter there? He says, get behind me, Satan. You see, suffering... This idea of living in rejection, uh, bearing the sins of many, offering himself as a substitute was the very essence of why Jesus was born. When we come to the manger, you can't sit there in some you know, disengaged sentimentality, we have to recognize that in the manger lies the one who will walk the path, who will bring us healing, who will bring healing to the world. And of course, he does that. He does that through the cross. It is there, and we get the details all throughout the Gospels of his back being flayed by the soldiers, his arms and feet being pierced as he hung upon the cross, his side, you know, the blood and water flows out. We get all of the details that fulfill so clearly Isaiah 53 and tell us that Jesus is the Savior that our hearts need, that our world needs. He's, he's putting things back together. You know, we, we look around and, and we see so many things in in our, in our culture, we see so many things worldwide, and we say, is it really true? Is there any hope? You know, I don't see it in the White House, hope that is. 
You know, I don't see it on the horizon. I don't see it in Africa. I don't see it in Europe, the UN. Where, where is our hope? Our hope is in the humble one who takes it all on and who bears the punishment for sin, who bears the brokenness of the world in order that he might bring us life. And I want to just point out one other thing. It's no accident. You know, verse 10 is is such a, a powerful verse. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. You know, sometimes we, we look at the, the, just the rabid injustice that, that Jesus faced. I mean, you read the gospel stories and, and your heart just cries out for justice, you know, because Jesus didn't do anything and yet he was put to death like a common criminal. But it wasn't an accident. You know, it was the plan. Jesus stepped forth and he said, here I am. He went to his death willingly. It was the will of the Lord to crush him because it was the only way that he was ever going to bring peace to this world. It was the only way that you and I were ever going to find peace. But it was also the will of the Lord, you see at the end of verse 10, to prosper him. You know, that will that sees in in such uh, a a robust and full-orbed way that he can look through the brokenness to see the final product, namely uh, prosperity that goes beyond what we in ourselves could possibly see. And that's really the final promise that we have here. It's the unexpected provision. You know, who has believed our report? The angels got up and they sang, we come to bring you good tidings, great news that shall be for all the people. And who will believe it? The shepherds went out. Uh, others were, were told that this was the Christ. Who has believed it? And the truth is, not many did. You know, as he walked the face of the earth, he had 12 and he had 72. And there were a couple hundred. But not that many people actually believed in Jesus as the Messiah. There was a far greater multitude crying, crucify him, crucify him. The prophet says, who has believed our report? You know, our iniquities are gone. Uh, Many people have been brought to righteousness because of the work of the servant. And then we see even beyond that, it's not just the people of Israel, but it's the nations. Verse 15, so shall he sprinkle many nations as the priest sprinkles the blood of atonement on the people. So the servant sprinkles His own blood, both as the sacrifice and the great high priest on the nations. And we see that, you know, though it started with the nations and moved down to the people of Israel, eventually it comes to a point in the person of Jesus. The good news begins to spread out again. It comes to the church. And the church's job is to bring salvation to the nations. To, to share it aloud, to speak forth the, the glad tidings of, of great joy that shall be for all the people. 
You know, here we are, it, it's Christmas, and there's warmth, you know, there's cookies, and, and there's uh, roast beef, and all of the different things, or, you know, good tofu if you're a vegetarian. I mean, there's all of this good stuff that, uh, that we think about with regards to Christmas. But the best news of all is that Christ was born in Bethlehem to bring peace to the people that would believe on him and to sprinkle the nations, to sprinkle the nations with the promise of atonement for all who will believe. And that is why we, we come to this idea, worthy is the lamb. You know, the spoils are shared. You see that in verse 12 uh, of 53 where he says he's poured out his soul to death. Oops, sorry. Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. I love the passage in Revelation 5 that pushes us through to the uh, to completion of the Lamb's work. There is the Lamb around the throne, uh, the Lamb that was led to the slaughter, the Lamb that now sits in glory, and the elders and the angels fall down. Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransom people from God, for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then they continued this song saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing. All of the spoils, all of the spoils that his Father laid upon him for his faithfulness in walking to us. And you know what the good news is? You and I, we are part of that spoil and we are participators in that spoil. I mean, we are the nations brought in, right? We are part of that heavenly community singing, Alleluia, worthy is the Lamb. This is our voices as we raise them in song this morning. Our musicians do such a good job in leading us in our choir and our hearts come together. And we are part of this great heavenly throng, part of the spoils, but we also... Share them. You know, part of that diagram demonstrates to us that, that we stand in the train of Christ. Everything that is true of the servant is true of us. And all of the ways that he has been called to live and to act and to breathe, all of the spoils that he received, they all flow to us. Now, part of that is the suffering, right? You know, we go back and we say, okay, if this was the path that Jesus walked, what does our path look like? And we can expect that here on this earth. We should look for it. We should find ways that we can stand in and be a substitute for others, take their pain on us. But we also are participators in the spoil, and we are part of that great kingdom singing hallelujah. One of the members Christ Church sent me a, a great story that was in the Wall Street Journal this week. It's a story of Kim Phuc. Uh, she is a Vietnamese girl. She's most famous for uh, being the napalm girl. Some of you may have seen that photo. It won a Pulitzer Prize in 1972. Uh, there, the 
bombs were dropped and kids are running down the street. She was naked at the time, uh, running with her arms out, uh, but her back uh, is just completely scorched by the burns and the brokenness that came through that bombing. But she's got a wonderful story, and it's a story that talks about the path of suffering. It's a story that comes from a humble you know, unexpected, unpowerful person, but it's a story also that speaks of God's gathering in and the incredible provision. It's a story that's wrapped up with Christmas. Those bombs have caused me immeasurable pain over the course of my life. Forty-five years later, I'm still receiving treatment for the burns that covered my arms, back, and neck, but even worse than the physical pain was the emotional and spiritual pain. For years, I bore the crippling weight of anger, bitterness, and resentment towards those who caused my suffering. Yet as I look back over my spiritual journey that has spanned more than three decades, I realized that the same bombs that caused so much pain and suffering also brought me to a great place of healing. Those bombs led me to Jesus Christ. My salvation experience occurred on a Christmas Eve. It was 1982. I was attending a special worship service at a small church in Vietnam. The pastor, a humble man, Ho Hyo Ha, delivered a message that many Christians would find familiar. Christmas is not about the gifts we carefully wrap and place under a tree. Rather, it is about the gift of Jesus, who is wrapped in human flesh and given to us by God. As the pastor spoke, I knew in my heart that something was shifting inside of me. She didn't neglect that. She paid attention to it. A decade removed from the defining tragedy in my life, I still desperately needed peace. I had so much hatred and bitterness in my heart, yet I was ready for the love and the joy. I wanted to let go of my pain. I wanted to pursue life instead of holding fast to the fantasies of death. When Pastor Ho finished speaking, I stood up, stepped into the aisle, and made my way to the front of the sanctuary and said yes to the suffering servant, to Jesus Christ. When I woke that next Christmas morning, I experienced my first ever heartfelt celebration of the birth of Christ. I know what it's like to experience terror, to feel despondent, to live in fear. I know how wearying and hopeless life can be sometimes. After years in the spiritual wilderness, I had felt the kind of healing that can only come from God. I had spent so much of my life running, first from the bombs and the war, then from communist Vietnam. I had always assumed that to flee was my only choice. Looking back, I understood the path that I had been racing along was leading me straight to God. Today, I live at ease. Sure, my circumstances can still be challenging, but my heart is 100% healed. Praise be to God for His work in her life. Praise be to God for His work in our world. Let's pray. Lord, what an inviting message this is. All the brokenness, the scarring, 
on young Kim Fuchs' back, healed because you gave your back to be smitten, because you gave your side to be pierced, you gave your arms and your feet to be nailed to a cross. Lord, we come to the cradle this morning, and we recognize that the same wood that forms the cradle will also form a cross. There is no escaping the purpose for which you came and your birth. Lord, we pray that you would enlarge our hearts today to see the truth of why you came. And again, Lord, we pray that we would not merely have time with family and a sentimentalized view of of what Christmas is all about. But Lord, we pray that like Kim Fook, we would find, we would find in you the deepest satisfaction of longing that we truly need. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But you have laid on him the iniquities of us all. And by his stripes, we are healed. Praise be to you. In Jesus' name, amen.